You're listening to Who Killed Misha Pavlik, a Saskatchewan RCMP-created podcast outlining the true 2006 homicide of Misha Pavlik and the ongoing investigation. This is the last episode of the three-part feature. I would like to take a moment to recognize the land on which this podcast was produced is Treaty 4 territory and homeland of the Métis. On behalf of the Saskatchewan RCMP, I offer my respect to the First Nation and Métis peoples of this land. This podcast features the voices of Saskatchewan RCMP officers directly involved in investigating the death of Misha Pavlik, as well as Misha's loved ones and other RCMP experts. We want to caution listeners that some of the information or audio may be considered disturbing or traumatic. Listener discretion is advised. My name is Mandy, and I work for the RCMP. Corporal Marcus Crocker is the current lead for the Misha Pavlik investigation. Well, it's been almost 15 years um, since that person was responsible for Misha's death. It's 15 long years of, of looking over your shoulder, wondering, is today the day when the police come arrest you? Every time you see a, a police officer, a police car, or somebody in uniform, what's going through your head? Is, is today the day? Um, because that uh, it, there is going to be the, the time where that's going to happen. You know what? You know what happened. And for 15 years, uh, you've been walking around with that information. You may have families. You may have children. And you have to start thinking. What if that happened to your child and you want that information coming forward, right? It's, it's, it's time to, to clear the air and stop looking over your shoulder. In Saskatchewan, the RCMP Major Crimes Unit, or MCU, is divided into two areas of responsibility, North and South. Together, MCU North and South have a combined total of 24 police officers who provide expertise on investigations all across the province. Within each major crime program falls a historical case unit, a section of investigators dedicated to working on long-term, unsolved investigations. We, in our unit, work historical files that are unsolved, that uh, were passed from the major crime side. So in, in Misha's investigation, the major crime investigators had, had the file. It just it progresses to a point where the file uh, it gets turned over to the historical case unit, where they can actually look at the file, see what the original investigators have done, and try and create a, an investigative plan moving forward to try and, and solve the file. An investigative plan generally identifies avenues to help progress an investigation forward. So does the historical case unit, are their files considered cold cases? We don't have a large unit, right? We have a smaller unit where it, we have, they're not cold. They're all active unsolved homicides. It's just you can't work all of them at the exact same time. The historical case unit south has five investigators and one missing persons coordinator assigned to it. At the time of this recording in 2021, they have 55 files assigned to them, including suspicious deaths, missing persons, homicides, and one unidentified human remains. So have you spoken to 
Misha's family about this investigation. First spoke to uh, Misha's father um, early uh, early spring of 2020, and I introduced myself as uh, the new lead investigator. It's a phone call that was tough for me, as uh, I believe I'm the f- I'm the fourth lead investigator over the 15 years who has reached out to introduce himself as the the new investigator. To hear, you know, as a, if you're a victim's uh, family member and the police are reaching out saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm the new the new guy taking over the file." They've heard it before and they're wondering, you know, what what am I going to do different than that the other investigators didn't do. Staff Sergeant Tim Schwartz was the lead investigator in May of 2006 when the initial call for service came in about a stabbing at a party at the Kanukuma campground. He received the call around 12.30 a.m. and assembled an RCMP major crime unit team to begin their investigation. We have a second victim. We have to ensure that, you know, we're following up with that. Um, then, you know, the piece of just trying to get to the scene, having the forensic identification section come in, uh, to again, not to disturb every, anything, allow them to do their work. Um, so basically my walk-in with the team that we had to the scene was to, to get a, a visual of the, of the scene and to, then to start uh, figuring out how we, we move out from there with our investigation. One of the many benefits of being a provincial police service is having many highly trained RCMP experts who detachments and units can call upon to assist with an investigation. Just a few examples of some of the experts available in Saskatchewan RCMP jurisdiction are Police Dog Services, General Investigation Section, Collision Reconstruction, Underwater Recovery Team, Emergency Response Team, Forensic Identification Services, Major Crime Unit and Explosive Disposal Unit. These experts, among others, can be deployed to assist RCMP detachments throughout all of Saskatchewan should the need arise. Our FIS units are, uh, play a, a really big role in, in any homicide investigation. They are there to help uh, document uh, what the scene is like shortly after, once they arrive. Forensic is the scientific analysis of physical evidence, as from a crime scene. FIS programs and services form an essential part of virtually every criminal investigation. It assists investigators in solving a crime. The Saskatchewan RCMP has 26 Forensic Identification Services positions located throughout the province in the communities of North Battleford, Prince Albert, Tisdale, Saskatoon, Yorkton, and Regina. When requested, the experts in FIS positions are deployed throughout Saskatchewan to assist RCMP detachments and units with investigations. Sergeant Curtis Hodgins is in charge of the Regina Saskatchewan RCMP FIS unit. To be clear, Sergeant Hodgins did not respond the night of Misha's death in 2006. His interview provides perspective on the supporting role FIS plays during major crime and other investigations. We're contacted uh, via DOC usually. DOC, or DOCC, is the Divisional Operational Communications Centre. The operators you would speak with if you called 911 seeking assistance from the RCMP. We heard from Lee Rosen from DOCC in the two previous episodes. We we provide the same service basically to every unit that, that asks for it. That that service is documentation and processing of crime scenes, be it 
from stolen vehicle all the way up to multiple homicide scene. And then a request is given to us by the member as to what uh, what they require, be it uh, an examination of a crime scene, documentation of a crime scene, uh, and then the nature of the crime scene being break and enter, property of crime, stolen vehicle, processing a grow up or a drug scene, right down to processing a, a homicide scene for, uh, for trace evidence. Sergeant Hodgins explained that processing has two steps. The first is documentation of the crime scene. The second is examining the scene for trace evidence. The evidence collected helps tell a story about what happened, which is then interpreted by different experts. FIS is always a support service to other units of the RCMP. Case exams are used to show assistance provided to another RCMP unit. In 2020-21, Saskatchewan RCMP FIS had 2,186 case exams down from just over 2,400 the previous year. So in this case, we'd be a, a, an assisting unit to MCU, um, be it south or north, and they would contact us and say, okay, we ha- this is what we have. We have a suspicious death of an individual. We would like you to come out and, and document and process the scene. We'd do initial photographs, maybe the deceased person, as well as, uh, as documenting any, any path of contamination. If a warrant is required, we would then withdraw and wait for the warrant to complete, be completed, and then we would do our overall scene examination. And for a major case, you'd be looking at things such as plan drawing, scene measurements, as well as scene video. National Forensic Laboratory Services operates as a single public laboratory system with three sites currently located in Ottawa, Ontario, Edmonton, Alberta, and Surrey, British Columbia. They provide forensic services in biology, firearms, toxicology, and trace evidence for police from across Canada, excluding Ontario and Quebec. They employ scientists, technologists, and support personnel. Depending on what kind of evidence is there, say you have blood evidence, if it needs interpretation, a step further would then be taken and we'd say contact a blood pattern analyst from the bloodstain section. They would come out and they could actually photograph document as well and they could provide some impossible interpretation of, of the blood evidence that's on the scene. It's quite lengthy when it comes to major case such as a homicide, especially depending on what evidence you have because it's such a wide, could be a, such a wide spectrum. It could be blood, it could be DNA, it could be footwear, it can be fingerprints, it could be fire evidence. Basically, we try to assist in every facet we can and it's all based around the idea of of collection, preservation, interpretation of physical evidence. We know now, from speaking with investigators, that the major crime unit gets called about a serious incident soon after it occurs. I asked Sergeant Hodgins to explain what a call-up might look like for someone in FIS. Basically, we have somebody working or on call uh, 24-7, seven days a week. So right now, um, it's 10 o'clock on a Tuesday. There's two of us working in my office right now. Uh, and Doc has our, has our phone information, and the first contact is always to, to, to DOCC, right, to, to dispatch uh, from the members, and then they'll see who is working or who is on call, and then they'll contact that person. So, yeah, at 3 in the morning, I could easily receive a call from on a, on a Sunday, 3 in the morning, from a major crimes unit <clears throat> requesting I attend a scene. Sergeant Hodgins explains that after someone from FIS receives a call for service, they go to their office to prepare for deployment. FIS vehicles are equipped in advance, ready for investigators to respond and do their job at any major scene. 
most cases, most units have a vehicle they've kind of specified as their as their major crime scene vehicle, and it's it has the majority of items that that are needed, you know, DNA swabs, uh, blood reagents, video equipment, photography equipment, nighttime photography equipment, uh, heavy duty lights, a, a plethora of uh, of exhibit bags, PPE, not just masks and gloves, but also whole body suits, uh, booties, that kind of thing. So that when the call comes in, we don't have to stock a vehicle from point A. It's it's for the most part ready to go. But there's still uh, items that may need to be taken along, like extra water maybe if we're going to be there for long periods of time, food. Maybe it's an outdoor scene and we need to bring a, a portable tent along. Is it a very in-depth blood scene? Maybe we need to make sure we have enough blood reagents. Maybe it's a, a fire scene and we're going to need to uh, sift through burnt material. We'll bring our sifters. Uh, we'll bring our shovels, our rakes. There's, there's always no two crime scenes are the same. You try to have as much equipment packed as you can uh, for, for the overall that you need, but you never have it all. And that's when you, when you receive your call from from major the major crimes unit. That's the questions you ask. What do we have? What kind of a scene is there? What are we looking for? What specifics? So that we can that way we can ensure we provide the best product to the members when we go. In Saskatchewan. The communities the RCMP serves vary widely. Some communities are fly-in only. Others may take hours to travel to, depending where the responding FIS officer is based. Being in the south, our distance is here because we cover the current area as well. So we could we we go all the way to the Alberta border from here. So we're talking four to six hours away, and that's very common for people up, up in north, such as Battlefords or, or PA. Those. Battlefords will go up as far as Lalash, PA will go up as far as Black Lake, Fond du Lac, and areas like that that may be flying related. So there's quite a large spectrum, quite a bit of driving that may be involved. The distance from Regina to the campground crime scene was approximately 55 kilometers, or a 40-minute drive. Corporal Marcus Crocker is hesitant to release many specifics of this ongoing investigation including insight into what charges may be laid against any suspects. When charges are laid, the full details would become public through related court proceedings. He does confirm there was a physical altercation that occurred the night of May 21, 2006, between Misha, his friends, and their suspects. At the end of that altercation, Misha uh, died. Misha died as a result of stab wounds, and his death is considered a homicide. We learned in previous episodes, a friend of Misha's was also stabbed. So you talk about two people that were injured. Misha was one, and what happened in, in with the other individual? He did survive his injuries. Uh, he went to surgery. So even though the major crime investigators are involved now investigating Misha's death, they have a parallel investigation into what happened to the other individual. During that, even the information you're getting, some, some of the witnesses provided information on what happened to that other individual, and some people are providing information on what happened to, to Misha. And they were actually able um, to charge an individual for an aggravated assault. The man charged was convicted in Regina Court of Queen's Bench in 2007 and served three years in custody. To date, no charges have been laid in relation to the death of Misha Pavlik, and the investigation remains open. 
Misha's funeral service was held on Saturday, May 27, 2006. You can still read his obituary online. It says, Everyone who knew Misha loved his beautiful smile, giggle, and his humor. He was a good kid, and he had a good heart. Misha's dad still remembers how many people were in attendance. I found it out after how many friends that he had. It was shocking. Um, like when, when we had the funeral for Misha, it was huge. It was huge. They had, it was, it blew my mind. I just, I didn't fully grasp how it affected so many kids. They had people standing in the parking lot, in the, in the garage, and uh, all the hallways. Uh, yeah. The number of interviews investigators conducted is more than 170. More than 40 tips from the public have been received to date. You're about to hear from Misha's parents, Lauren and Susan, and his sister, Kathleen. I think uh, there, there have been some concerns I mean, from the beginning, I have put my faith and trust in the policing, uh, the RCMP, and in dealing with this. Um, I've had a large number of friends who ask me how I can be supportive when there's been no real in-depth uh, issues that have presented themselves. And I, it's hard for me to talk about some of this stuff because um, in, intuition is a, is a valuable commodity. I just, I just don't want to see it end up on a file cabinet done. And that's as far as we can go. I'm of the belief, actually, that I believe the RCP knows who did this? I mean, my my intuition tells me that. I think maybe it's just been really hard to prove. I don't think it's because they slacked off and didn't do their job. I think it's there was so many. It was dark. And there were so many different stories, and there's other things going on. I mean, I found out some stuff this year that I didn't know. It's hard because I'm not. I mean, I have really great investigative qualities, right? But I'm not an investigator. It's not my job. And I wasn't in close enough contact with the investigators to be able to really pick apart the good things or the bad things that they did. And, and nothing has come of it for 15 years. Sometimes it's frustrating and you get mad and disillusioned. And sometimes you think like, Regina's really not that big of a city. People talk. People know what happened. It, it has to be more than hearsay. People have to actually step forward and say, I saw this, or I was told this directly by the person, you know, and, and help us to close that door. Misha's friend Alicia remembers an increase in the delivery of local violence awareness campaigns in the weeks following Misha's death. I've heard a lot of different perspectives, and I think the part of this is why it is so important to, if you do remember, like another piece or a memory or something, because your memories can change or you can all of a sudden be like, 
you can grow up and be a little bit more mature and be like, you know what, actually, now that I see that, that actually was something that they could have probably, like the officers, RCMP, whoever could have maybe used that um, and pieced it more together. I mean, to anybody out there, if you do think you know something or there's a memory that's bugging you or you just think, hey, maybe I should have said something, it's still okay to go and say something and it'll be okay. To the individual that did this, or the individuals that know who did this, I can't imagine what your pain is like, like the real pain, the stuff that you deny you have, because up till now, you've not come forward. It's not helping your life. <laughs> it's just not helping your life. It's 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 too bad what a thing to give your own family or your children because the, a lot of those people that were out there that night are married have kids what a legacy that was misha's dad lauren speaking now you'll hear from his sister kathleen and mom susan don't get to just take someone's life and then move on with your own and think that you're going to be okay. You're probably damaged in some way. Maybe it tortures you sometimes and maybe you get angry with other people to cope with that. But as a human being, you have a responsibility for what you've done. They probably were not secure, rational thinking at the time and had to prove something and of course what did they prove you know that Misha was loved when he was young he he clung to me and he was my heart grief is um, you don't know about it until you have it like I really miss him like there isn't a day you know Grief is like the tide going in and coming out, and you can't stop it when it starts coming. During my conversation with Misha's mom, Susan, she shared that at one point in the past 15 years, she chose to go to the campground site where Misha was killed. Um, one year, I, I went, I took out my friend Patty to take me to where the, um, where the, uh, where it was the campsite, right? Yeah. We drove there, and uh, and I was surprised because it didn't look it was the prairies. It wasn't an evil-looking place. It just and it was a place. And... What is the missing piece investigators need to solve this crime and hold someone accountable for Misha's death? It's one big giant puzzle, and. Anything regarding Misha and that weekend and that evening and after what happened is, is important. It, it could be that piece that we need that progresses this file and, and, and ahead. So any information is, is important. Uh, there was people and witnesses who, who have knowledge, but they're trying to protect somebody. Um, 
And then the other issue is that not everyone likes the police. I'm just hopeful that somebody's had enough. I've had enough. I can't live with this anymore. I don't want to live with this anymore because all it's doing is bringing this negative garbage into my life is to get honest with somebody. And uh, there's a way to do that. And what if the person who knows what they know is scared to come to the police, you know, may want to say something now, what would you say to them? What can they do if they want to stay anonymous? What does that look like? If there are people out there that want to come forward and we would love those people to reach out to uh, the historical case unit to contact the RCMP, there are, is ways to do it. If you're, if you're scared, you can, you can call Crime Stoppers. But it's now to think uh, what's important here. Because the people who did it have been walking around for 15 years, right? And the people who know about it have also been walking around for 15 years. And no one's held accountable. So it's, si- it's time that the people who are responsible are held accountable. We want to find out what happened. People still remember. Um, They still remember Misha. They still remember what happened at that night. We want to thank Misha's loved ones for permitting us to include their voices and lived experiences in this podcast. If you have information about Misha Pavlik's death or this investigation, you can contact the RCMP Historical Case Unit investigators directly by calling 639-625-4252. Crime Stoppers really is anonymous. You do not need to identify yourself. Leave a tip by calling 1-800-222-8477 or report the information you have online at sascrimestoppers.com. Thank you for listening to Who Killed Misha Pavlik, a Saskatchewan RCMP-created podcast outlining the true 2006 homicide of Misha Pavlik and the ongoing investigation. You can listen to the podcast in its entirety on the Saskatchewan RCMP website.